Iowa Hawkeyes celebrate a long, proud history. In 1970, the university made a key hire, Bump Elliott as athletic director. Labeled as the coach's AD, he ushered in a golden age. But it was a new type of gold, a yellow gold. He brought in Dan Gable, Lute Olson, Hayden Fry, and Vivian Stringer, all Hall of Fame coaches. Coach Fry inherited a program that had struggled through 17 losing seasons and needed change. As part of his rebuild, he decided to rebrand his team, getting permission from the Super Bowl champion Steelers to emulate their uniforms. He worked with a local art director to create the Tiger Hawk logo and complete the makeover, saying, where I come from, it's called selling the sizzle before the steak. Coach Fry and his coaching peers lived up to the task presented by the AD, and Iowa has never looked back. Black and Yellow Gold aims to celebrate the great people, programs, community, and culture that define Hawkeye Nation. And so it stings, and it stings because I just think it was so poorly managed, and uh, there were so many other options. The model doesn't work. We need time to fix the model, the Olympic model, the national governing body model, the NCA model. Just simply can't go on. Hey, fellow Hawkeyes, welcome back to Black and Yellow Gold. I'm Eric Hennigan. We just heard some heavy words there from today's guest. We spoke a few days prior to uh, learning that the Big Ten will attempt to have a football season. Pretty exciting news. Unfortunately, the postponement of the season had already uh, taken some casualties. And it's really pointed out deficiencies with our uh, current NCAA athletic model. Part of today's interview will address the elephant in the room, specifically the cutting of men's and women's swimming and diving, uh, which also includes men's gymnastics and tennis from the Iowa Athletic Department, in case you're not aware. The voice you heard is of Mark Kaufman. I consider him to be a Renaissance Hawkeye and a friend. He's got a great feel-good story. Self-made businessman. Like our first two guests, he exemplifies what attracted me from uh, Hawaii to Iowa. Bedrock dude. Strong foundation and values. Very Midwest. Grew up in a very small town and found his way to Iowa City. Interestingly enough, I'm not sure we'll have another guest like him, but while he was a college athletic trainer at Iowa, which we'll learn more about, he worked alongside all five of the Hall of Famers mentioned in our intro. He parlayed his time at Iowa as a trainer and uh, started a very successful business called Athletico. They have over 500 uh, physical therapy locations. They also provide the services of athletic trainers. I actually went there to rehab both of my hip replacements. He recently uh, turned over the reins as CEO and is now the chairman of the company. He's also a great philanthropist. Besides doing a lot of stuff at the University of Iowa, he's the chairman of the Boys and Girls Club here in Chicago. He and his wife, mainly his wife, Recently, uh, just opened, actually this week, they opened a natatorium. He's also the proud father of uh, three girls. One's a wildcat and two Hawkeyes. And the youngest Hawkeye, as you'll learn in the interview, is on the swimming team currently. I met Mark when I was attending wrestling camps in Iowa City, all the way from Hawaii. And somehow we remembered each other. He recently reminded me that I do believe I used to correspond with him prior to email. Actually, letters by mail. So let's get into it with Mark. Mark Kaufman, thanks for joining me. Happy to be with you, Eric. 
So let's do a little history here. Um, you and I actually kind of, it's a weird how we know each other, but going way <laughs> far back, you come from a very small town, Olds, Iowa. Mm-hmm. How small? Uh, right now, it was a bustling 200 people when I was there. It's probably down to uh, around 180, but it hasn't varied too much in uh, all the years I've been around. Where does it get its name? You know? Yeah, I think it was a person with the last name Olds. And uh, that's about all I know. It was uh, like incorporated in 1900 or something like that. And uh, I, honestly, there was a railroad that went through it. But I believe that's, that's I, I should know it, but I think that's it. Is a railroad what made it a town, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it was this, there was a grain, grain elevator, typical rural southeast Iowa town. It's about, well, it's exactly 38 miles straight south of Iowa City. I didn't know it was that close. Yeah. yeah. Did you get to Iowa City much then? Because it doesn't sound like you did. Well, uh, Iowa City was uh, usually a trip to buy school supplies or a trip for uh, shopping around the holidays. And then I I went, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the Ohio State game in 1976 that I first got to go to uh, the opportunity to go to Kinnick Stadium. And uh, And that was a friend or something? No, my dad, my grandfather took me, and so I would have been uh, just uh, 12 years old. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Crazy. So um, I know that you you had interest in wrestling, and you wrestled, obviously. I wrestled in high school. Um, I played, I mean, we're talking small, you know, uh, single A high school in Iowa, so if you... Uh, there wasn't a cut. You went out for the sport. Uh, you you played. I played football and I wrestled. And uh, I was okay. I had two cousins that were in the lower weights that uh, both placed high in state. They were a couple of uh, good quality wrestlers on our team. And uh, we had one state champion that was in around my weight class when I was a sophomore. Um, but uh, Waco High School was the was a high school we were and i'd call us an average uh, wrestling school in the state of iowa which means we'd probably be better than average in most states and and uh how did that team because i know you've recently helped with uh, some athletic uh facilities for your school um is, yeah. it, is it a conglomeration of several towns or how does that work yeah, so uh, the town, my father grew up in Wayland, so that's the W of Waco, and uh, my town was Olds, there's your O, and C is Crawfordsville. And so it's a uh, Waco consolidated school district made up of those little towns. Some are a little bigger than Olds, and uh, the high school when I grew up, it was in Olds, my hometown, and uh, it's since moved to Wayland. And a couple years ago, um, they had a a weight training facility for all the athletic teams, boys and girls athletic teams. It was about the size of a broom closet. I, I built a really nice, uh, we'll call it a community. It's kind of a combination of a community health club rec center and training facility for the high school that uh, I received photos of uh, a bunch of kids training in it and utilizing it and uh, really seemed to be enjoying it. And it turned out really nice. It's right adjacent to the high school. And you know something I'm proud of to contribute back to uh, to the to the uh, community. That's great. I saw a video of it. I don't know how I saw a video of it, but somewhere along the line. Yeah, they did a press thing and uh, went back and spoke at the opening, the ribbon cutting um, a year ago. And uh, like I said, it turned it turned out really nice. I have the internet's here, so I can see stuff like that. <laughs> it's very exciting. 
Um, so I know you're into wrestling and you are watching. I, I, I'm going to lead you a little bit because I just happen to know the story. But you are watching Iowa, Iowa State in a wrestling match and Randy Lewis and Jim Gibbons. Is that right? Against each other? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, when uh, Randy uh, dislocated his elbow. And uh, one of the worst it, things I've ever seen on, on sports. Yeah. It's like, and he's screaming like the Hilton Coliseum yeah. is silent and he's screaming. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the worst injuries you can get for, for any sport, let alone wrestling. But uh, I was watching on TV and uh, saw this gentleman who became Dan Foster, Danny Foster, an important person in my world, um, go out and administer care to uh, Randy when he injured that. And then I was... He always know, was Danny Foster. He just all of a sudden became that to you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. And I uh, had no idea who it was, had no idea what he did because uh, small school, uh, high school, uh, 1A in Iowa, you're not going to have an athletic trainer on staff. Your coaches generally are the people that administer any type of first aid before they, if, uh, if they need to get you anywhere else, it's to the physician. So um, I then went to uh, uh, that later that year or soon after, I went to a wrestling meet and at Iowa at the old field house and uh, had a program. And I saw Danny, Danny T. Foster's uh, picture and name there and uh, the athletic trainer. So that was when I was first introduced to athletic training. And what about it appealed to you? It kind of sounds like right off the get-go you were intrigued by it. A couple things appeal. One, I I, I really uh, thought I was going to go to Iowa. I wanted to go to college. I loved the Hawkeyes and uh, loved that. And I also knew that I could not compete or wrestle at that level. I was not anywhere near good enough, but yet I wanted to stay involved with athletics. And so my senior year at Iowa, I wrote a letter uh, as part of an assignment for a rhetoric class and, and uh, wrote it to Dan and uh, asked for information or offered to, you know, do whatever to support the, uh, the uh, wrestling program. And uh, lo and behold, I receive a packet back in the mail of, uh, if you know Dan, you know, he's thorough. Yes, uh, he is. <laughs> I think that's uh, beyond that. I'm, not, I'm sure there's a word in the dictionary. And uh, he, uh, he sent back this packet on the athletic training major at Iowa. And I was intrigued. And so that became a path for me when I got to Iowa City. And it's amazing that training department, there's some legends that have uh, come through there. We'll talk about that, your, some of your mentors and everything. So, so you uh, finished up high school and you obviously want to go down this track and hear back from him. And um, was that your intent right from the get-go when you got there to go do this? You know, I, uh, not exactly because I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I, I might've even been undeclared, but, uh, uh, I thought maybe education, I love history, history, politics, social sciences is something that's always, I, I've either enjoyed done well in, and I was fine in math science and, you know, I was a pretty okay student, but, uh, I, you know, uh, wasn't exactly sure other than I, I didn't want to sp- spend the rest of my life necessarily in Olt. I wanted to go see something else and Iowa city became that place. But then, um, they were also going through a transition with the athletic training program from a, uh, four year to a three year or what have you. And so I didn't hear anything back, but then lo and behold, I received a letter my sophomore year at, uh, Hillcrest dormitory. And, uh, I was invited to a observation meeting for future athletic strength, uh, athletic training applicants. And uh, went to that at Carver Hawkeye, and uh, uh, that led to being a participant in the observation program. Is that when you meet here? Is that when you meet Foster? 
I saw him walking around there and I didn't meet him. He wasn't the one coordinating the meeting. But then as we went through the different facilities and observed and we were, you know, grunts, we were just learning the field, what we, our responsibilities might be if we got into the, were accepted in the athletic training program. And, uh, and so we visited various facilities and, and uh, saw a lot of, you know, saw the, worked with a variety of the athletic teams and, and, uh, and then you applied after that year for, uh, for the 10 spots in the program. And I was uh, admitted into the program for the start of my junior year, which is became a two year program after that. That's crazy. So two years there and you're only talking to the court through uh, actual mail. As opposed to visiting yeah. and meeting anybody. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so you go into the program and then how quickly do you start working uh with the athletic department? Right so off? right away right away you receive so your junior year during that time, you junior year you worked all sports. So you worked gymnastics, swimming, wrestling, football, basketball, you worked all the facilities and you got a what you call it a flavor or experience in all sports, which was great. I mean, you didn't even know at the time how great it was, but you're seeing, you know, injury rates, exposures, types of injuries, you know, different types of athletes. Uh, believe it or not, a wrestler is a little different than a baseball baseball player than a track and field athlete. So you get a lot of experience in a short period of time. And then after your junior year, you applied or you, uh, you were selected to work one sport or one facility um, my, for your senior year assignment. And honestly, I, I, my first choice was to work with Dan and uh, work wrestling because I, I loved it. And I knew I would learn a lot from Dan. He's an incredibly smart man and, and a great teacher. And, uh, and uh, I did not get that assignment. I got assigned to football, which ended up being the 1985 Chuck Long, Ronnie Harmon, Larry Station Hawkeyes that won the Big Ten Championship. So things kind of worked out. Yeah, it worked out uh, pretty well and uh, had a wonderful experience that year with a a Big Ten Championship team. But I know I would have loved working wrestling uh, because I I loved Iowa, still love Iowa wrestling. Now, I know I met you through the wrestling camps when I was there. And so did Mm -hmm. you work the wrestling camps? Is that how that worked out or? Yeah, that kind of became your uh, summer opportunity. One one summer you had to take a cadaver anatomy class as part of the program, but then the other summers, if you were in Iowa City or wanted to be in Iowa City, uh, you would be a um, student athletic trainer for the wrestling and basketball or, you know, all the sports camps. A lot of them, you know, where you and I met was at the field house, and I know that. Yeah. And uh, they had, uh, you know, use of all the facilities back then. I'm, I'm well, they just sure. built Carver, and so we barely were over there. I mean, literally, it was about to open my right. first year there. Yep. Yep. It opened, and uh, I was at the first event, which was a wrestling meet in January of 83. Yeah, so what what years are you talking about in undergrad? 82 to 86. Okay, got it. Yeah, so you really are there for the Rose Bowl, and I think I've even seen you speak that that might have been your first time on a plane going with the football team. Is that right? <laughs> we, we, we played uh, – well, it's ironic, but here I am in the Chicagoland area. But we played Northwestern in that year and, and working football that fall of 85. And uh, fl- flew from Cedar Rapids to O'Hare was the first time Mark Hoffman uh, <laughs> was on an airplane, his senior year of college. I love that. That's <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's actually funny. When we, you and I got reacquainted, it was several years ago up in a suite uh, at, at uh, I still call it Comiskey Park, guaranteed rate so field. Do- so do I. Yeah, so watching I. our socks and um, or my socks, I should say, your Cardinals. Well, I'm a Sox fan in Chicago. I, mean, I brought my Cardinal love for the Cardinals here, but I had to find a baseball team, and it, and they're it one worked. of your clients, right? 
Yeah, we, we've worked with the, the Sox for a long time. Herm Schneider just retired, a long-term athletic trainer, great, great guy, uh, retired this uh, past year. And so we've been, we were partners with the Sox for, you know, a number of years. Oh, we'll get back to that. But uh, yeah, I was up in the suite and you came in and you looked really familiar to me and I couldn't figure it out. And I said, how do I know you? I'm like, I don't know. And about four <laughs> minutes later, you're like, are you from Hawaii? And did you wrestle at Iowa? I said, yeah, figured it out. Yeah, it's uh, I like one of the uh, I, I have a pretty good memory and uh, I remember people and I remember faces and I usually remember injuries sometimes before I remember <laughs> na- names. But well, thankfully uh, that wasn't my case. But yeah. yeah, but it was a fun conversation. And of course, uh, those connections you know, last a lifetime. All right. So you you uh, work with the football team. And then, I, for some reason, this is where I get a little confused. I got to get into your passion for swimming, which I thought started back in college because your roommate, right? Yeah, you know, I had a, I, I knew nothing about swimming, and uh, a, a young man named Mark Mears was a, a swimmer from Joliet. Went to Joliet Catholic, uh, not too far from here, um, and uh, he, uh, he and I were roommates that sophomore year in Hillcrest, and we've stayed. Uh, friends. He just called me. I had a recent birthday. He called me on my birthday. We see each other regularly. Great, great guy. A friendship that's endured, uh, you know, since 1983, 84. So that was my first introduction to swimming. But that wasn't uh, by no means made me a swimmer or an expert on swimming or whatever. I enjoyed going and watching uh, the meets and watching the men and women swim and uh, spend some time with them and and got to know a lot of the uh, Iowa swimmers because I was were also working in the facility that next year. So um, that was my introduction to swimming. Got it. But you didn't work with the swim team at all? No, just football. Just just that through that rotation your junior year when I'd worked in the field house and I'd help with back then, if you remember, it was wrestling was over at the arena by then, but it was uh, men and women's gymnastics, men and women's swimming. Not sure what else would have been in the field house. Some other teams might have helped, you know, done some off-season training there. But they, they were the the field house training room consisted mo- mostly of those sports. Got it. And so then at some point you are going to go to graduate school and you decide on Arizona. Right, right. I had an opportunity for a few schools. I remember one was Syracuse and uh, uh, Tucson, the University of Arizona, had a couple things going. One was the weather. I'd never been to Syracuse. I'd never been to Tucson, but I was smart enough to make the call on the weather. But it also, the University of Arizona's uh, graduate athletic training program was ran by a person, kind of like, you know, the reputation of Dan Foster is uh, Gary Delforge. And uh, Dr. Delforge was, you know, the preeminent gra- graduate program uh, in the country. And I was lucky enough to go in get in there and uh, work two years as a graduate assistant, got my master's degree in exercise and sports sciences, and um, finished there in 88. Lute Olson was down there. Those were the Steve Kerr years. I got to know Steve and had some good football teams. I worked predominantly football and um, uh, track and field and cross country, but all the sports rotated through you know, one main facility, so you got to know a lot of the athletes. And it was a great experience for me getting me out of the Midwest. Was Dick Tomey the football coach? So uh, he was the second year, so Larry Smith yeah. – uh, May, may rest in peace was there uh, my first year had been there a number of years he left after that first year for usc and then dick tomey came from hawaii that's right yeah and i think actually when he came there i think the hawks played dick tomey did they not Arizona. they did oh, yeah. they did uh they did that first year because uh, i brought my parents down to see tucson they'd never been there and it was there i think their 25th anniversary so it gave me a great reason 
to uh, so a quick story. I mean that Iowa won that game. I think Chuck Hartlieb was the quarterback, and uh, Iowa won that game, uh, a close game. And uh, I worked the Iowa sidelines as the host athletic trainer, which uh, we always had one one person host the visiting team. So naturally, I was a good fit for that. So I stood on the Iowa sideline for that game and watched the Hawkeyes uh, win a tough one against the Wildcats. Yeah, that's great. I actually, uh, one of the sidelines with Arizona once myself with Mike Stoops, uh-huh. Mike and Mark yeah. when they were over there, I yeah. had to wear neutral clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Former Hawkeyes. So, right. so going through the, the different coaches and teams you worked with. So obviously you're around Gabe a little bit with camps cause you did a little bit of the wrestling stuff. And uh, I also, why do I remember you being with Tom Davis and that great basketball team? Were you also with the basketball team? No, I, I wasn't. A good one of my closest friends and uh, roommate, actually, Doug, who works for me now with Athletico, uh, was the student with basketball. And I had worked for the camps, basketball camps, I think certainly George Rabbling camps, possibly Tom Davis camps. I can't remember the years. But uh, that first year I was at Arizona, uh, Arizona or Iowa came down and played them twice in that first year. It was that, you know, it was uh, Tom Davis's uh, first year when they made a run at the final four. So I was around them a lot. I knew, knew the guys. I knew obviously the staff and still stay connected to a number of folks from that era. I have you confused with another trainer because I went to, they played the Hilo Vulcans in Hawaii, believe it or not, as a warm up before they played like Chaminade Classic, uh-huh. which had some really good teams. And if you remember, like, Chaminade, one of those teams yeah. upset Louisville that year, who was number one. Yeah, I but, remember uh, that. I, but I guess it wasn't you. I, for some reason, I had that in my head that it was you. But the, whoever the trainer was, I just knew him from camps, too. And I took some friends and gave them all my Iowa T-shirts. We were the only <laughs> Iowa se- rooting section there. Great <laughs> sure. It might have been Doug, my roommate. Yeah, probably was, actually. Yeah, yeah. Doug was a high school wrestler. We were not much different in a lot of ways. He went on to physical therapy school. He's a good therapist, runs one of our facilities. But... Uh, he was, um, like I said, a roommate that worked uh, Tom. That he worked that first year with Tom Davis. Got it. So, really, so you're around Hayden Fry pr- primarily in your undergrad years at the football program. Yeah, and then just because of all the field house stuff, you're around a lot of other friends. And then all of a sudden, how how did you end up with Marcus' roommate? Just a fluke. Yeah, complete fluke. We uh, uh, a roommate of mine was uh, he walked on uh, a kid from my high school walked on the uh, football team. We were going to room together in Hillcrest. He made it as a uh, punter. And so he got assigned over to Slater, and that left me without a roommate. And lo and behold, I get Mark Mears, which was uh, quite an experience. The more I learn about the kicking team, uh, kicking specialist back then on the on the football team, um, God, who was it who kicked the winning uh, field goal against Michigan? Number one, Iowa. Number two, Michigan. Um, Rob Houtland. Rob Houtland. And uh, I was actually with him not that long ago. But he, he you know, his story is crazy too. He was gonna try and play there, but he. He didn't like it. He went to Miami of Ohio and he didn't yeah. like, he had got a scholarship there. You know the story? I think and didn't he walk on it on? Yeah, so he, he goes to Iowa and he wins like an intramural thing, kicking mm-hmm. contest or something. And Fry sends the coaches down, go find us a kicker. <laughs> That's what they find him. <laughs> yeah, they had I remember that because we had and this kid, I can't George gosh, George Mitchell, George Russell. I can't remember his name, but he was the he was the scholarship recruit that just simply couldn't overcome Rob, and Rob was battling, uh, I remember that whole year, he was kind of, he, he could hardly practice because he was battling a hip flexor strain the whole year. Oh, that's uh, not good for a kicker. 
Uh, Not at all. And uh, but he he held off the competition, so to speak, and he remained the uh, kicker. And then I think uh, when Rob Rob might have graduated one year later, he might have been a junior that year. And then um, and then the one I'm thinking of took over and did a nice job years after that. It, it's, I was in a meeting. Uh, one of our clients. I was in a, in a client meeting in New York City in marketing. And, uh, it was his sister. Turned out to be our client, and I didn't realize his father was uh, pretty high up over at Leo Burnett in the ad agency world. I think I might have known that, but but at the time I didn't know what even Leo Burnett was. But <laughs> I still barely know what it is. And I, yeah. they bought our yeah. company, so yeah, um, yeah. So he, I don't know. If, do you know what his first kickoff? Uh, Rob Howland's yeah. first kickoff? No, he, it's against Iowa State, uh-huh. and he he it's raining and he completely misses it, and it barely it just goes ten yards, but they get an onside kick. <laughs> Not planned. Yeah, I, uh, I wonder. <laughs> Would that have been that year? Because we played Iowa State in the rain in Ames. So it might have been. been. We were, uh, I just remember it was, yeah, raining. And uh, it might have been Rob's first, uh, one of his first kicks. But uh, that's funny. I don't think, I, I didn't remember that story. He said he looked up to see his dad just shaking his head. <laughs> All right, so yeah. you've been around some uh, some Hall of Famers there in terms of coaching yeah. and everything. And so then you moved to Chicago and, and tell the Athletico story, if you don't mind. Well, I, uh, after, uh, after I finished at Arizona, both, and I, this is the way I'll frame it, both of the, uh, my head athletic trainers at Iowa, uh, a gentleman named Ed Crowley and a woman uh, at Arizona, Sue Hillman, were both physical therapists. And, and at the time, I thought, you know, I, I, it's all I really knew. I loved working with college athletes, and I thought that was my career path. And then I thought also that uh, going to physical therapy school provided I, would, I could get in. Um, would help me get a better job, so to speak. And uh, so I applied to physical therapy schools. I got in at Northwestern, which checked a lot of boxes for me. It brought me back to the Midwest. It brought me back to a city I, I love, Chicago, because I, I had roommates from there. I had Mark Beers, a couple other guys that I used to come back and visit Chicago in the summers and just love the city. And, uh, uh, and I like, I'm a Midwestern guy, and I like the Midwest. And so, uh, and I'd also met a girl my senior year at Iowa who was from the uh, south, uh, southern suburbs of Chicago, Marianne, who uh, we were married. But you met her at Iowa. I met her at Iowa in Slater Dormitory. She was an RA there in our senior year. She had one more year left of pharmacy school, and then we were a part a year at Arizona and together a year. And um, so I got in in 88, right after Arizona, to Northwestern's program here in Chicago. We were married uh, literally the day before, on a Sunday before I started physical therapy school, and off we went. So I completed that in uh, two years, and then I worked in the outpatient physical therapy setting for a, a place called Lincoln Park Physical Therapy for two years after I was done at Northwestern. And I, it uh, caught my attention for a couple of reasons. One, I started an athletic training outreach program with local high schools in Chicago, and that got me out of the clinic. How do you sell the- that, like to coaches or? Who do you yeah, talk you to? know, yeah. I I'm not a salesperson, um, but, but, you're, uh, but at the time you're it's just, so you're working for somebody doing that. But you said you started it. Yeah, so I I went to I I didn't come on. I asked for permission to see if, you know if it's okay if I try to do this because I find, come to find out that these uh, schools one was uh, two in the private were the private schools Latin School Francis Parker and then one was a public school Lincoln Park High School were the closest schools to our facility I worked in. I, I called it the 
kind of the easiest sales pitch there is. I said, basically, you're uh, a local high school. You don't have an athletic You don't have anything. Here's something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's something. The coaches don't want to do it. They're not capable. The parents want somebody there. The kids want somebody to go to when they're injured. The administration of the school wants it because they want to be protected liability-wise, and I want to do it. So there it is. That's and great. So, I signed up all three schools, which was a bit more than, you know, luckily they had, we could start from scratch and I could go to one school one day, one school. I think two of the schools had me do like biweekly visits and one school had me cover like evening games or something. So it was a kind of a slow introduction into it. And uh, Athletico still works with those schools today, but I took that athletic training program. And after two years of working for this company, I decided that uh, I for whatever reason, I look back now as 26 years old and uh, thought I wanted to open my own facility and, and expand the athletic training outreach. And there was no people that know me know this is the complete truth that I had no ambition to open a second facility, let alone what we've done. And uh, but the idea was to open that facility, which we did in August of or I did in August of 91. And what are we at now? Number wise, um, somewhere north of 530 in 12, wow. 12 states. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So you start that up and then you you branch out on your own and just and start Athletico with like That's one right. shop. Yep. Uh, Clark and Oak in the Gold Coast area of Chicago. There was not a physical therapy site anywhere really close to it. And I, it's an area, as you know, living in Chicago, you can kind of catch if you're coming from the, you know, in the northern neighborhoods, Lincoln Park, Lakeview, and you're working in the loop um, or you're leaving and coming around. Yet, you know, it's still a fairly strong residential community. So a lot of uh, a lot of rooftops around there. And you're celebrating a milestone. In what way? Isn't it like like a 20th year or something like that? You, you... Well, we did our we did our tw- now we're past. We're going on our 30th year. So we started. We just had our 29th anniversary. Okay, I had it wrong. And uh, yeah, and so in 2000 or 2021, uh, we'll be 30 years old. Which, again, re- remembering that I started when I was 26, so that makes me 56. Wow, as of good for so, you. Yeah. And around uh, the, all the college sports, you've obviously still remained very much connected. Athletico has, and a lot of the pro sports as well. Yeah, we we did. We took this, uh, you know, I, I just kind of lay it out how it kind of evolved. I, I first, I love athletic training. I love physical therapy. I love I love my job. I love always have and. Uh, I got to know, you know, the team physicians for the different sports, and therefore you got to know the athletic trainers for the different sports. And, uh, and I just went to them and, uh, with some thoughts around, Hey, we have athletic trainers that aren't that busy in the summertime. And if, uh, you ever need help at two a day football camp for the bears or, you know, Blackhawk rookie camp or Chicago fire or what have you, you know, just let me know. And, uh, I, I know I have some people that would be interested in doing that. And, um, that kind of uh, is how it started that we, I guess, got our foot in the door. And then uh, lo and behold, they saw the value, you know, a, a team may during the season may need a lot of help. Like the bears, they just started today. So the bears uh, need some help on the sidelines, need some help at two a day football camp, need some uh, help during the practices, but come time when the NFL season's over, uh, for example, then they don't know they aren't uh, that busy. They no longer need the help. So, um, I could supply or Athletico could supply athletic trainers 
and uh, when the when it was a feast or famine time, and we could p- deploy them in other areas when the teams didn't need them. So that kind of be- became the basis for our relationship initially, which is just basically a staffing model, and then evolved to a sports marketing mo- model where we became sponsors uh, for the teams. And we still work with a number of teams since we've gone into other states. It didn't make sense to only do it in Chicago. But at one point, we were working with all the major sports franchises, professional sports franchises in Chicago. And uh, we made the conscious choice eventually that to unwind that a bit so we could support some of our other markets, St. Louis, Detroit, what have you. Yeah, I thought I met you at the Sox game. You just come from the locker room. And you're with my friend Mike Terry, who's the doctor for the Blackhawks. Right. Yeah. I know Mike. And uh, and I would go down, you know, in the uh, after a game or during a break or maybe stop and see Herm at the White Sox and just catch up with him at a time where, you know, the players are on the field. All his hard work is done for, you know, he has a half hour to catch his breath. And I just always, you know, like I said, I love athletic trainers. I love uh, being around them. And, and, uh, and these guys uh, and gals and men and women are are underappreciated, underpaid, underappreciated and everything. They work, they're the first uh, call of duty, first line of defense. They take on more and more responsibility every day, particularly now with uh, the pandemic, with COVID-19. Uh, the responsibilities increase, and they're kind of the unsung heroes of an athletic team. But I always joke, and there's uh, more than a hint of truth with it, that if you want to find out what's going on with the culture or the attitude or the spirit around any team, just hang out in the training room for a while. You'll that makes sense. Out. Yeah, that's where all the chit-chat happens, too. Yeah, people are more candid, and they say what's on their mind, and you can just you can read the mood of the athletes and when, you know, with wrestling, guys are cutting weight and getting ready for the, the big meets of the year and how hard that time period of time is and how much, you know, just everything's uh, uh, escalated to the point where the tensions you could cut with a knife, so to speak. So then you uh, later become a parent, obviously, and is that what strengthens your bond with swimming? So you have three daughters. That's right. So uh, we have Three daughters, uh, Fotini. Um, is, uh, my wife is Greek, so the, the name Fotini comes from my wife's mother. Um, was born in 93. Margaret was born in 97. And Christina was born in 2000. And um, Fotini, when she was around seven years old, uh, Marianne was with her at uh, the rec facility, a local rec facility. And the swim coach came over basically and said, Fotini should be on my swim team. And she said she wanted to try it, and kind of the rest is history. Fotini was a, a swimmer, swam you know all through high school, made you know the state team in high school, swam at Northwestern for a year. She graduated from Northwestern. Um, Margaret swam all the way through high school. Was a great swimmer in high school too, and and could have swam in college, but you know everyone retires sometime. And Christina is a uh, sophomore and walked on the team at Iowa. So I have uh, one Northwestern Wildcat and two Hawkeyes, which kind of makes sense. Uh, I take a little too much credit for that, knowing where I went to school, but uh, they've done really well. Essentially, with no swimmers in the family, I, for some reason I always had in my head that your wife swam, but you told me no. No, neither one of us can take any credit for that. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a great sport. Swimming's a tough sport, obviously more of an individual sport, though they, they count team points for swimming and diving. But uh, the demands, again, unless you're a swimmer or a swim parent, you really have no idea what swimmers do. They're usually the first in the water, you know, in the morning to 
I think any intercollegiate athletic department, uh, I would I would press them to say who's up first and uh, training. I would suggest it's probably the swim team. I did it as a kid, and I even then I was not. It was hard, <laughs> really yeah. hard. Um, yeah. So first but, jump in school. Yeah, but you definitely went down a rabbit hole with this. You, uh, I mean, I never knew what the word natatorium was till talking to you that you were building one. So, I mean, you guys yeah, have gotten hardcore about the swimming. Well, uh, that started a few years ago with, uh, you know, Marianne and I and all the Illinois parents have gone, we've, we've gone to swim meets 17, 18 years in a row now with the girls and uh, age group, high school, college, what have you. And in Illinois, there just aren't many great facilities for uh, indoor meets and uh, that have a 50 meter Olympic sized pool, for example, and and can handle the crowds and the uh, the teams coming in and out and the just the physical space and how that's evolved for the needs of the the, the uh, swim meet. And then, for example, the last several years for the uh, the state club meets, which are usually in the summer and the, and in the winter in February and in the summer, they've been in either the state of Illinois meets have been in either Munster, Indiana, or Kenosha, Wisconsin. They couldn't even hold them here. I so you tell me it was in Wisconsin, which I thought was crazy. Yeah, just over the border. So all of us Illinois residents are going and spending our hard-earned dollars up in uh, other states, which didn't make a lot of sense. But uh, you know, you don't, you know, if you don't grow up with swimming, you don't, you know, dream about uh, building an auditorium. But a few years ago, Marianne asked, and we talked about you know building a training facility because she was uh, the team she has worked with or the girls swam with was called Ultimate Swimming, and. Uh, when they left the Oak Brook facility for a number of reasons for their training pool, they struggled to really land a home. And she was getting increasingly frustrated with the opportunities available. And, you know, she'd rent from a high school and then the high school would close for whatever reason, or they'd empty the pool out and not notify her or what have you. So she and the team were struggling to really get the, you know, first rate facility that they had consistent training in. So we talked about that, and that's where it all started, and uh, and that evolved into what is about to open is the FMC Aquatics, the FMC Natatorium here in Westmont, Illinois, which is a magnificent facility. It's uh, paid for uh, by our foundation, Marianne and my foundation, and uh, it was... Uh, it's on Ty Warner Park in Westmont, Ty Warner from uh, the Beanie Babies person. Yep. And it was nice enough to donate the land for it. And uh, it's a beautiful facility. It's set to open within a week or so. They just got their occupancy. But it has a 50-meter Olympic Murtha pool, which is the same pool they use for the Olympic trials in Omaha. And a, another 25-yard, eight-lane uh, uh, training pool that they can do anything from infant rescue to uh age group swimming, training, master swimming. And of course they can use a big pool for uh, international meets, high school meets and, uh, and club state club meets. So um, we think, uh, I know it'll be a fantastic addition for the Westmont community. I also know it'll be a great addition for uh, uh, Illinois swimming and swimming in the U S because having a, a location like that, that they can host, uh, meets of the international caliber um, will be just a, a real uh, gift, and uh, we're blessed to be able to do it. That's great. Kudos to you guys. I've, I've only seen videos, but it looks amazing. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, she's done. She's done the work. I mean, uh, she's been there every day for the last 
going on two years this fall. They broke down ground in November of uh, 18, I believe. And, uh, you know, once they got going a year, a year plus ago, she's been there practically every day. Um, <laughs> working hard to uh, see her vision come to life. And uh, I've, I've called her a warrior around this thing. I've, I pop by on occasion and, and uh, I guess support her at night and help support her through COVID and bring her coffee in the morning to rev up her engines, but she's done the work. Yeah. It looks like, like I've again, seen her videos and stuff. It looks like an amazing facility. So, um, so, so your daughter's obviously won the, your middle one, Margaret ends up swimming at Iowa. Are you obviously, you're obviously going to be involved for a long time with the athletic department in a lot of ways, um, not just giving, but I know you guys also do some marketing opportunities and stuff Athletico does. But um, so you've been pretty actively involved in all those mentors of yours who are trainers are all still there, and I know you're very close to them. So what's that, as an alumnus, what, what's that relationship like, and when do you get really involved with the swim team? So... Uh... Yeah, so Margaret didn't swim, and I was Christina. So Margaret went oh, to graduated. Yep, she uh, she retired after high school, but Christina wanted to, and and I uh, thought they both uh, did for some reason. I didn't. Yeah, you. yeah. Christina's uh, swam, you know, freshman year got to swim Big Tens. The Big Ten swim meet, uh, swim and dive meet was in Iowa City last uh, winter, and so we got to see her uh, there. And and uh, you know, I I. Uh, Many years ago, well, what happened? And, and that's because Jeff Margaret also worked in the football office, right? That's right. Margaret worked very close, at, yeah. Yeah, Margaret worked in the football facility as her job during uh, her years at Iowa. So we, you know, they know their dad is a huge Hawkeye, and their mom went there too, and so we're Iowa fans through and through. And uh, a number of years ago, the program, my graduate program at Arizona, you know, wasn't a large program. There'd be twenty students coming out every year, and so they eliminated the school made the decision to eliminate the program and so poof it was gone and uh that got my attention and i went to uh dr albright john albright's been a physician at iowa for uihc for many years he was a team physician when i was well right and uh dan foster i just went to those two and i said how can i support you and and this program so it doesn't that doesn't happen to iowa's athletic training program because i feel it's important and so we initially started where I, we endowed the uh, professorship for athletic training. So Dan's position as leader of the program, we did that a number of years ago. And I've since done some other things to help support the uh, athletic training program. So it is, uh, it, it continues on. And uh, I've done some things for the university and, and for the UIHC sports med, Brian Wolf, the team physician. I've worked on a couple of concepts. He's a wonderful person to work with and a great, great team doc. He took over for Ned Amendola a few years ago. And so I've enjoyed uh, working with him on that. I kind of, I'll, I'll step up where, wherever I'm asked, uh, you know, now that Christina is swimming there um and we'll get into that i'm sure next but uh you know they came to me and a few months ago and to talk about the wrestling program and the new facility there and and i i said to them i said yeah you're talking to the right guy i love iowa wrestling i'd be happy to support it and i have a daughter on the swim team so it's going to be a little awkward for me to support wrestling while i have and not be doing anything because i haven't done anything to date uh, for swimming because my focus has been on the athletic training program. So right. that uh, leads us up to a couple of weeks ago. So a couple of weeks ago, your daughter, you've told me a little bit of story. She lives right next to the swimming uh, facility with her swimming roommates. Go ahead. And is that, so that that's, 
obviously how anybody in the Kaufman family finds out about it that morning, but I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, well, I was at an event on that Friday, and uh, I guess, as I understand it, what happened was the uh, the kids, the athletes on the men and women's swimming and diving team, the men's tennis team, and the men's gymnastic team. And what's the event and on Friday you're at? An athletic Iowa athletic event? or No, no, okay. I was just here in Chicago. Okay, got it. Okay. And, uh, nothing to do with and, Iowa. Okay. No, nothing to do with Iowa is an event. And uh, I get... Um, so they get called, they get a text around 7.30, 7.45 in the morning to report over to Carver-Hawkeye, I think to the basketball gym, the basement gym at Carver-Hawkeye and didn't know what it was about. And so 100 athletes show up, you know, uh, COVID uh, with their masks on, they're seated, uh, socially distanced in the uh, gym, six feet apart, and they're sitting there and their coaches walk in and I think the coaches look to... And this is also the first week of school, if I'm not mistaken, right? I mean, it's it was, right off the bat. Yeah, it's Friday before the classes start on Monday. Yep. It's just uh, the way, uh, Eric, the way this was handled just is, uh, it sticks in my throat because uh, it's certainly not the Iowa way that I knew and uh, learned from people like Bump Elliott, the athletic director, when you and I were there, who is a gold standard in my opinion. But anyway, the Great. the uh, the coaches come in, they look shell-shocked because evidently they were just told 30 minutes before that that their programs were being eliminated. So the four teams' coaches were there. And uh, the athletic director uh, comes in and basically tells the team that, uh, you know, this isn't good news, obviously, and uh, your sports are being eliminated. Um, good news is you'll be allowed to compete this year if there is a season. And, and here's some counselors and some compliance folks to help you through any questions and processes you have. And uh, he was out the door within a couple minutes, which... Again, I don't, I don't know if this, this could have been handled worse. But um, so that's uh, so Christina goes from being the happiest time in her life, being a student at Iowa, being with her teammates, swimming competitively, and and just enjoying the, the whole experience to completely shocked. And uh, they didn't know it was coming. Uh, some may have, some coaches, kids, others may have, but my daughter did not. And, uh, you know, she went to, as I've said a few times, she's went from the happiest time in her life to the saddest overnight. And uh, I, you know, I just don't agree with how it was handled. I don't agree. I mean, being in a position that I can help and I'm not alone, there's a lot of people that would help. I know if they called and said they were eliminating the Iowa wrestling program, you get on the horn with yep. all your pals and do whatever you could to support that. And you, you actually, when we talked about it a few weeks ago, you opened my eyes up a little bit because I said something about, well, they'll never end Iowa wrestling. And you said, well, yeah, but if we don't have anyone to compete against, yeah. <laughs> it won't matter. You need somebody to and wrestle. That's right. And that's what's going on with these sports around the country. They don't have the support. They don't have the budget. It's a different era. And it was where sports were a little more on an even keel back in our day. Not that football and basketball didn't generate most of the revenue, but oh, it's, it's changed definitely from- changed. We've definitely have, there's, these are satellite sports that are tied. To, they've turned into the big pro, the big athletic programs, basically run the show, and everybody's yeah, out for you. Yeah, I mean they raise. You know, it's uh, football makes ninety percent of the revenues coming in for the sports revenues that do come in in the University of Iowa, and I think basketball's around ten percent, and the TV revenue, the money from the departments. But, you know, these dollars have gone up dramatically over the years. The salaries have gone up. The administration management costs have gone way up. I know there's, because I've seen it with all the businesses, not only ours, with Athletico, with the pandemic, there's essential costs and non-essential costs. So you have to make cuts. 
But an athletic department, the last thing, in my opinion, it should do is cut sports or cut teams. And uh, th- that's the first move that was made by our athletic department at Iowa. They announced some furloughed staff, which I want to dig into at some point in the future and weeks to come. But they, they cut teams and they cut athletes and they ruin, you know, ruin lives and people that were, you know, just tossed to the wayside. And they did it, you know, they said they did it with a appropriate level of concern and evaluate by categories. But this, this was blindsided. They never came to the coaches and said, we need you to cut your budgets. You know, all coaches need to cut your budgets. We need to cut, make the cuts to salvage these programs, or you need to activate your donor base. You need to activate your alumni base. There's ways to do this. And they're trying to bridge a huge gap that they brought on themselves of debt, 75 million, so to speak, at Iowa. And they have facilities all over campus that they've, they've built. And I'm not against beautiful facilities. I know it's an arms race with athletics. I know universities have to build things like the rec center with the swim, where the swimming pool sits to, to attract students. And I'm all for capital improvements around campus. And I'm all for supporting the basketball and football and wrestling teams at Iowa. Uh, to be as competitive as possible, but you find a way to get it done while you're supporting the other athletic teams. And there's ways to do that, in my opinion, that I just don't think our administration, and I'm very disappointed in them, that they fought for these kids and they fought for these teams and did everything possible. I think they were tossed to the side. Yeah, like um, exhaust exhaust every uh, option and doesn't sound like that happened. Exactly, exhaust every option. And and they, I, I don't believe they put in the work. They didn't want to put in the work. They didn't want to for whatever reasons, or they had the targets on these sports to begin with. I, I've heard I've heard that. Like, what does that mean? Is that, do you think there's something I, I just, I, I don't know if it's a, you know, the, the teams, you know, you can look at a lot of things. You can look at graduation success. You can look at the GPA. You can look at the team success. All those things should be considered but only as a, as a last option. And you can cut budgets. I mean, these kids on gym, men's gymnastics, men's tennis, and uh, swim and dive for men and women, I mean, they're not high-budget sports. They're the lowest uh, in the lowest tier of sports at Iowa, yet th- that's where they cut. And how are they going to salvage a $75 million uh, gap or a hole in the budget f- from uh, Big Ten football not being played this year? They may not re- receive the revenues they have in the past years. How are they going to solve that by, as they claim, you know, handling a $5 million cost line item with these? Yeah, just to be clear for people out there to understand, $5 million is the total of the sports that were cut. That was their budget. And that's what they said. And I, I'm, you know, there's, I wouldn't say funky math going on there, but the way they look at it and the operating expenses are just, there's some differences there. But but, and also they bring in, I mean, according to the numbers they put out there, that it also brought in 540000 I think is what I heard. Yeah, they bring there's there are things that they bring in. Most of these kids aren't on scholarship. They're coming to Iowa. They're coming from around the country or from other countries in the world and paying their own ticket. And, you know, it's part of what attracts the student body. It's part of us, as you well know, a student athletic experience. It's part of the regular school. I wasn't an athlete at Iowa, but I went to games of all types. And and I know others do that. And it, it makes you I mean, when you see a person in O'Hare Airport with a Hawkeye hat on, you yell, go Hawks. Yep. And so. That makes it part of that. And for, you know, our administration not to take a hard look and solicit the support or solicit them, you know, the opportunity to save these teams. I'm very upset about it's really called into everything. I, you know, as you well know, Hawkeye, bleed black and gold. It's in my DNA. Yep. No doubt. And uh, I just, I'm really struggling with it. And it's not, it's personal because of Christina's 
but this Absolutely, is my university. Yeah. This is where I did my training. This is where I'm the biggest fan of. I didn't grow up in around pro sports, so I'm a Hawkeye more, first and foremost. And so it stings, and it stings because I just think it was so poorly managed, and uh, there were so many other options. The model doesn't work. We need time to fix the model, the Olympic model, the national governing body model, the NCA model. Just simply can't go on. And for you know this this uh, this pandemic that has caused the financial stress on all these programs. You know, Iowa didn't have the reserves in place. That's our fault. You know, that's I, I won't point fingers, but that's our administration's fault, our athletic department's fault. It's all of our fault, fundraising fault. I'm on a board at Iowa. I want to do everything I can to help support these things. But when you're cutting the students' experience, cutting athletic teams, and uh, while at the same time you see where the money is going and there's not, you know, what I would call fat being cut from some of the areas that I think should be uh, looked into, it's uh, it's disappointing, and it's uh, not what it's. It uh, sounds meant, like it wasn't yeah. done all that thoughtfully. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think it. Uh, I think there was, uh, there wasn't the, the, you know, for whatever reason, the work wasn't put into the decision process, the communication process, and certainly the execution of the, of the decision in a way that I think uh, reflects well on the University of Iowa and Hawkeye athletics. And, and just really quick, a little background that I'm confused by. I, I'm not as tight with the swimming program and up to date as I should be, but that beautiful facility, I think, is only a decade old. Is that right? Yeah, it's 10 years old. $70 million facility, beautiful facility. It was set to host NCAAs next year, which would have meant a million to $2 million for the local businesses. It, they're throwing that away. They're going to lose meets and, and the opportunity that all these you know, student athletes, what everyone brings back to those communities. Uh, but there has direction. to be a huge support system to build that facility. And as beautiful as they did, I mean, what's changed in 10 years that had to have a lot of people backing it to build yeah, they that had, thing. They had rec services backing it. They had university backing it. They had the athletic department backing it. And for whatever reason, um, but I'm talking about people who help. How, how was it paid for? Was it paid for by the athletic department? Was it paid for by oh, donors? Oh, yeah, I think athletic department paid part of it, but the university paid part of it. I think there was certainly some fundraising that went into it. It, it came from a multiple um, uh, multiple ways for the uh, – I'm just thinking there has to be a strong uh, support system there of, of the swim team for in order for that to be built a decade well, ago. I think where you're going with part of it is I think the, the Iowa Board of Regents that oversees the universities has to look deeper into that because they came up, they helped, you know, sign off on it to pay for this facility. And they knowing that it was the university, it's a, it's a shared facility with, you know, every student, as I understand it, I think $400 comes out of, you know, each student's account to give them access to use the facility. So it's part of the tuition bills that go out that helps fund the facility and keeps it up. But it's uh, it's a shared facility for all the student body, along with certainly serving as the uh, the home facility for uh, Hawkeye swim and dive. And so, trying to be optimistic here, I know that there's some there's at least uh, some work being done here to try and save the the sport. Uh, where are we at there? Well, I appreciate you asking. I, it's it's amazing to me the you know I'm part. <laughs> I'm part of uh, many groups. I'm through my relationship with people like Mark Mears. I'm I'm in communication with uh, guys like Ron Kaminsky, one of the, one of my close pals who swam in Iowa and uh, shortly around the time I did or right after. I've got to know Ron over the years. He was one of the first people that told me about what was going on when he found out the swim programs were cut. 
so we have a group of you have all the alumni athletes not just swimming and diving but all the sports you have uh the parents of these uh kids that were you know we we didn't receive any advance notice the kids were calling you know obviously upset with what had happened in Iowa with the, the way they communicated that I'm part of a donor. Uh, I'm part of the Center for Advancement Board that uh, we try to raise money. So I have that, you know, supposedly conflict. As I'm very disappointed in how it how it was handled. Yet I'm trying to raise money and support the university and the athletic teams. You have people like me that are donors, and uh, and I look at how this was handled on a personal level for my daughter or her team, and uh, how I look at things going forward. It, it would make no sense not to evaluate everything. So there's a lot of upset people. I'm proud of the way they pulled together. I've heard from gymnasts, tennis players, uh, and um, certainly all the swimmers. But, uh, for example, uh, a former graduate and a swimmer in the mid-'80s, Vicki Nauman, wrote a, a five-page letter detailing how poorly it was handled, wrote it and sent it to the Board of Regents. I think she had nearly 300 athletes uh, in, in short order. We're talking a matter of days. Yep. We weren't provided any notice. And um matter of days, she had – people calling in from around the country in support of uh, reinstatement and reversing this decision. And so we're fighting hard for that. We know it's a, it's a uphill battle because decisions like this get made and they're hard to reverse, but we're not giving up and we're creating a pledge campaign. We've had articles in sports illustrated. We have articles in Forbes uh, business sports. We've had the Des Moines register had a a big piece. There's having friends around the country who are not Hawkeyes who know all about it. Yeah, they're calling like, "What's going on at Iowa?" I mean, I, <laughs> what what is what is happening there? It's simply not the Iowa way to do things like this. And uh, and yet we were, I believe, one of the first teams in the Power Five conferences to first athletic departments to cut sports. So um, there's a there's a groundswell of support. I was on a call today for a couple of hours. I've been on several calls. My inbox is full, doing everything I can to um, support this and and for you know getting the board of regents and the university to take a second look at this because I think they've made a mistake. I think, you know, now as I think we're hearing today that the uh, big 10 is reversing its decision on the pandemic and they're going to, I they're think talking they're going, about it. Yeah. I think it's October 17th. They're going to be, be playing, uh, begin playing football. So now the reason, because the athletic director came out and said it was a hundred percent COVID related, that's complete, completely false. It's certainly due to COVID. But it's also due to the management of the budget. If you don't have any reserves and you got a seventy-five million dollar gap, when when uh, you have a crisis like this happen, it's not solely related to the pandemic. There's other things that could have been put in place. There's other things that could have been done, in my opinion. Now, part of those reasons have been removed because they're going to receive income. There's going to be TV revenues. There's going to be, in some ways, and uh, as you're seeing around the country, um, there's going to be attendance at some of these games. So the shortfall is going to be lessened every day, I believe, going forward. And hopefully this, we can put this pandemic behind us in, a, in the next year. And then things eventually will return to normal. And new TV contracts will come out, new Big Ten network contracts will come out, and the funds will be there. They need a bridge, and, they, and we need time to fix the model. That's what we're asking for. We're trying to be reasonable about it. But we've been told you know, initially and repeatedly it's a final decision. It's not reversible. Well, how's that for a collaborative group when you have, like I said, a groundswell of support? If you want to upset a bunch of people, you tell them that, you know, we made the decision and your your job is to accept it. And that's just not going to work with this group or the groups I'm involved with. So 
we'll see what happens. But uh, there's a lot of committed people, ex-athletes, uh, alumni that are upset, people that have donated money to the University of Iowa, wondering where it's spent. You know, the budgets at the university, I think last year was $150 million. A few years ago, it was $100 million. $50 million increase since, you know, like five or six years. And uh, we've been spending the money or putting it in places that simply weren't prepared to support these Olympic sports. And, uh, and it's going to be your sport next. It may not be wrestling at Iowa, but it's going to, it's going to happen to other sports. And we got we got to fight back and change that dynamic quickly because we can't. Sports means too, too much. Athletics means so much to kids of all ages and certainly into the college level. And uh, we have to do more to support these kids and athletes and teams of all these sports. And football and basketball, like I said, should be allowed to remain and go forward and fight and compete and earn the top dollars they get and get the great facilities. But these other sports need to be attended to as well. Well, to give you a little of optimism, just a few years ago that wrestling was no longer part of the Olympics. I know. I was very upset about that. I mean, one of the original wrestling, you know, Olympic sports, how, how could that even be on the table when some of the sports that have been added? I, I, but it got I, fixed. So, yeah. Knock on wood. Thank God. Well, thanks for doing this. And thank you for taking the time. Next time, we'll actually have fun stories and talk about uh, some of the things we've seen, which were pretty fun. You've well, obviously I seen a lot. So. Well, I appreciate you asking me, Eric. I really do. I, I love talking about uh, Iowa and, and all the all the good that comes out of there, and we could talk about that all night. It's the unfortunate situation we're in that led to the last part of that conversation, but I I hope uh, for better things ahead and, uh, and uh, certainly for these four teams that deserve to be reinstated. Forward and upwards. Let's get 2020 behind us. Chimney Christmas. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> Thank right. you, my friend. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Last two on there. It was, you know, it was just a few weeks ago that we were told there's no way there'd be a Big Ten college football season, so hopefully there's still hope. Regardless, he brings up a lot of good points, and uh, we all know the model needs fixing. I'm certainly worried about wrestling. As mentioned earlier in the interview, we definitely are going to need competition. I mean, the Hawkeye wrestling program would be fine, but still need to wrestle somebody. Stanford has already cut their wrestling program. I'll continue to add uh, information and articles to our social media sites about the subject. I don't think they're that expensive, and I think with a little support, we can bring these programs back. A little bit of housekeeping, we'll definitely get on a more consistent schedule with the podcast moving forward. May have moved a little bit prematurely, but uh, you got to start somewhere working on it. Appreciate the listen. As always, go Hawks.